Well, we're in a series where we look, we are looking at encounters with Jesus. Um, and we are looking at encounters with Jesus in John's Gospel. And we've ha- encountered a whole series of people whose lives have been fashioned and shaped um, by their meetings, their encounters with the Lord, with Jesus. And here today we encounter, as Jesus and, and his followers were passing by the Pool of Siloam, uh, we encounter a blind man, a man uh, born blind, so he had been blind from birth. And Jesus' disciples, right at the start of our reading this morning, defaulted to the Jewish understanding that links sin and suffering together. And it's revealed in their opening um, question to Jesus, where they ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And they would have got this understanding or had this perspective based on scriptures we find in the Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament. For example, the one on the screen from Exodus chapter 20. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Strong stuff. We find it again um, in Numbers and Deuteronomy also. So when the disciples pose this question to Jesus about, you know, this blind man, whose fault is it? Is it the man himself? Is it his sin that's made him blind from birth? Which is an interesting question to explore in its own right because there's this implicit assumption that someone, um, can, that sin can be present before birth for him to be born blind, but that's for another day. Or was it his parents' fault? Was it the sin of a previous generation that allowed him, uh, that that has um, made him um, blind from birth? And what is awkward for me as I imagine this encounter in my mind's eye is that the disciples are presumably asking Jesus this question about whose fault is it, his or his parents, in earshot of the man they've just encountered. Imagine the man's feelings, that here again are a group of people linking his blindness to sin. We encountered last week the woman caught in adultery who had been brought to Jesus for judgment and punishment. Can you imagine the emotions of that woman as she stood by whilst the people around her sought to condemn and stone her? Can you imagine the emotions of the blind man as he must stand there thinking, here we go again, am I to be condemned afresh? But asked this question, Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Attempting to say, aha, it's, it's his fault or it's his parents is too easy for this passage. Sometimes we do things that are wrong and they have consequences, 
And sometimes, yes, we can link sin and suffering. If I was to offend one of you, and you were to be righteously displeased with me, and that was to show through your tone of voice and your body language, then the way you were behaving towards me would link back to what I had said that was offensive or insensitive to you. There would be a connection there between sin and suffering. And you can imagine other situations where we might do things um, that, that are wrong or ill-considered that then have a consequence, and the responsibility for that consequence is ours. But other times we need to recognize that sin and brokenness have produced a world in which there is just the existence of suffering. It is part of the state of the world as we know it. And this is the world where we believe in hope Jesus is redeeming with his love. And so when Jesus says neither, he's challenging the narrowness of the assumption of the disciples asking the question that it's either the man or it's his parents that have led directly to this man's um, blindness. And it had to be neither. Jesus had to say neither. There had to be an alternative because the cost of confining this man, the woman caught in adultery, the cost of their lives to an understanding that says they are just sinners. Their predicament, their lot in life is caused by what they've done. It's just, it's tough, but it's their fault. There had to be an alternative because that's not the way from what we know of Jesus and his character, um, that we know God works. And so Jesus takes his disciples' understanding away from the Jewish understanding of suffering to Jesus' kingdom of healing and grace. The Easter message we explored on Easter Day, everything changes when we encounter Jesus. And it changes for the better. And part of the glory of Easter Part of the good news is not just about forgiveness of sin and the promise of new life, but about the prospect of that life being lived with Jesus Christ. Jesus makes himself known to us personally. And as we're still in the Easter season, I thought you might indulge me in taking a quick uh, romp through um, the uh, post-resurrection encounter so that we can see how Jesus relates to us personally. First of all, Mary of Magdala going to find the empty tomb, mistaking Jesus for the gardener, and not until Jesus reveals himself to Mary by saying, Mary. Jesus revealed himself to Mary of Magdala by her name. Then the disciples on the road to Emmaus discover that Jesus um, is who he says he is through a shared meal. When they got to the end of the journey and they stopped to break bread and have a meal together, it was in the breaking of the bread that Jesus became uh, revealed to them. And then in Luke's Gospel, Jesus appears to the 11 disciples and they mistake him for a ghost until he eats a piece of fish in front of them because, of course, ghosts can't eat. And so Jesus reveals that he really is risen and that he can be with and eat with his disciples. And there are many other 
uh, post-resurrection appearances, which I would commend you to go and look at. And notice how in all of them, Jesus reveals himself differently, but always personally to um, those who encounter him. In the book of Revelation, uh, we we read, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. It's always good to look at different translations of the scripture. It's a good spiritual discipline. If you're so accustomed to one particular translation, you might have your horizons expanded by looking at another one. So let's just do that for a moment. The New Living Translation expresses that verse from Revelation slightly differently. By ending that verse with the saying, and we share a meal as friends. The encounter, the relationship, the invitation is personal. The cross sorted out our sins. The resurrection made it possible for us to enter God's life. And now we discover through these gospel encounters that Jesus is intensely interested in your life and the situations that you are facing. And I wonder this morning if, as you sit here, you'll permit yourself to accept the reality that Jesus is interested in you. And he's interested in the things that you face, whether they be good and things to celebrate with God, or whether they be bad and things that perhaps need healing or forgiveness or grace. Jesus is interested in you and your lives. And the encounter between the blind man and Jesus is one that has been building since the preceding chapter of John's Gospel, where Jesus announces, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In chapter 8, we had the promise. In chapter 9, we see that promise revealed. In this encounter with the blind man, we see that revelation of the promise that we saw in chapter 8. Now, there are two significant things that are happening here. First is the physical healing of the blind man. We believe that he was healed, and that was physical, and it was a literal healing. And as we'll go on to discover, it prompted a lot of questions from people. But second is the spiritual revelation of Jesus as the light of the world. This has been built in full chapters. Jesus makes his statement that I am the light of the world in the middle of the Jewish Feast of the Tabernacles where light uh, and life and water are all symbolic elements. So too are they all symbolic elements in in this passage, in this healing too. So let's take the second first. Throughout John's Gospel, there are metaphors in use that tell us things about Jesus. And two of those metaphors are present here in this passage. The first is the metaphor of darkness and light. There is sin and suffering in the world. There are people who haven't discovered that Jesus loves them. And this creates a state of darkness, both in the lives of individuals and in the life of the world around us. And into this darkness, Jesus comes and brings the revelation of his light. And by bringing light, we mean that Jesus reveals himself, demonstrates his love, and extends an offer of life 
This is light. However, there's a second far more tangible use of darkness and light here, which is that this man, the blind man, blind from birth, whom we encounter in today's gospel passage, has quite literally lived in a state of darkness for the whole of his life. And in being healed, he quite literally sees light. There's that duality at play here between the spiritual revelation of Jesus as the light of the world and the physical outworking of that revelation in the case of the blind man. The second metaphor being used here is water. The blind man is healed when he goes down to the pool of Siloam and washed um, the mud and spittle that Jesus had placed on his eyes off. And after washing, he was able to see. We'll say um, at the second service, where we have the baptism of Matilda Reynolds, that water is something that gives and sustains life. Jesus himself was baptized in the River Jordan before beginning his public ministry. And as I say, this morning we will baptize Matilda in water and pray that as the waters of baptism pour over her head, that her new life in Jesus might begin. And so the blind man is healed. His sight is restored both physically and spiritually. And it's worth noting at this point that as our theme this morning is healing, that healing happens in different ways in different people. In, last, in this morning's encounter, healing means that the blind man sees. In last week's encounter with a woman caught in adultery, healing means that the woman caught in adultery receives her freedom. And as Beth shared last week, ironically, the man who had also been caught in adultery with the woman had already received the freedom by not being hauled in front of the group seeking to condemn the woman. And healing elsewhere in the New Testament means different things again. So if you were to turn um, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12, we read about Paul having a thorn in his flesh. And the commentators go wild trying to work out what this thorn was. You know, what was the sin that, that Paul was imploring the Lord to take away from him? But three times Paul asks for whatever um, thorn um, is in his flesh to be taken away. And then if you're in 2 Corinthians 12, you'll read um, the verse which um, gives us some comfort, but also another definition of healing. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So healing physically healing in terms of freedom, healing in terms of strength to face the situations that we encounter. And the, power of and the power and purpose of this healing, going back to this morning's passage, wasn't just about the blind man, but as we read earlier in verse 3, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Why did Jesus want the healing of the blind man noticed? Why were these works to be displayed? So that others may come to believe in a God who brings healing into our lives.
I particularly like verses 8 to 10 in this morning's passage. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. Those who were around this man couldn't decide whether it was the same guy. And I personally want to see one of those before and after images of of this man and his life. I want to see the image that um, people were used to around him, his neighbours, the image they saw of someone who was blind, and because of that, the only way he could make his income was to beg, um, and I want to see an image of that. And then I want to see an image of life transformed, of this man being able to see and being able to, to do things that he couldn't have possibly considered doing before. And I want to see that transformation that occurs that people around him start to notice. Because we don't have time this morning, but if we were to look at the second half of John chapter 9, you'll see that all sorts of people begin to question this man. Because what they've seen is this same man transformed by the love and healing of Jesus Christ. What a powerful act of transformation as this blind man encounters Jesus. Same man, life transformed. And I find it encouraging as I know something about some of your lives uh, and your journeys of faith and just your journeys through life that I can see the same thread of transformation working um, through your life by the grace of God. And I wonder as we sit here this morning if we might just pause for a moment and just thank God for his gift of life and healing. Thank God that he has taken our life and fashioned it into the likeness of his Son. I wonder if we can thank God for the gift of transformation by the Spirit, that daily we are transformed into his image. And I wonder if as we sit here, we might think about those who don't know the love of Jesus in their lives. And we might just pause for a moment and pray for those people. Father, you sent your son Jesus to be a revelation that he is the light of the world, a light no darkness can extinguish, a light which brings hope and healing into our lives. Enable us, Father, by the grace of your spirit to be people who talk about your work in our lives so that others may come to see the light and that their darkness may be dispelled. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.